Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Lessons Learned. On today's podcast, we talk with Alan Hopkins, Matt Strack, and Jared Emfield, all three jiu-jitsu black belts who own jiu-jitsu schools. Uh, such a fun conversation. It's really fun to dive deep into the decades of learning and experience that these individuals have and learn more about the sport of jiu-jitsu and the psychology and the application of jiu-jitsu. I uh, really appreciate these guys chatting, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Dat Sauce. What happens when you take a true Cajun from South Louisiana and combine that with a passion for the spice of life? You get Louisiana's newest and freshest, bold taste of flavor, better known as Dat Sauce. It's great on just about everything. Go to datsauce.com, that's D-A-T-S-A-U-C-E.com. Check it out, it's amazing, and dat sauce. Behavior sauce. All right, now I think we're there. All right. Okay, well, I, I really appreciate you guys taking some time and, and, and chatting. Um, have you guys ever done a podcast before? Nope, first yes. time. All right. You have? Cool. Couple. Yeah. All right. I've done one or two. Nice. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I really appreciate it. it. It'll be out on on all the platforms so you guys can nice. tell all your friends. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I like to research people out a little bit and just kind of know a lot about them. Um, but I didn't with you guys because I wanted to just have the good conversation. So um, we can kind of just round robin it a little bit and just chat. Sure. I would love to dive definitely into jujitsu. Um, because who better to dive into jiu-jitsu with than you guys? Uh, maybe some good stories that you have from the past, and then also just as much as you can using jiu-jitsu to teach listeners life lessons. Hmm. Awesome. So um, where, are, where are you from, Matt? I'm originally from uh, just outside of Chicago, Woodstock, Illinois. Um, grew up there... Uh, started doing jiu-jitsu in about 97, um, met Peter Sauer shortly thereafter, and then, uh, had a chance to go to Utah to, uh, test for my blue belt and saw a whole group of people out there that have been under Pedro for a while. And, uh, was like, man, this is where I need to go. Yeah. Um, so figured out how to get out there and moved out to Utah. And is it about that time that you guys met? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Because you were in Utah at the time. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was he was running the academy there. And so back in the day, um, you had to travel pretty far to to test for belts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, living in Illinois, I had to travel across the country. Yeah. You know. And why did you choose Utah? Uh, Pedro was there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So Pedro Sauer, uh, you know, came from Brazil, obviously with the with the Gracies with that first movement and. Uh, was in California and then, you know, students were coming there and were asking for the Gracie's it was a Gracie Academy. Yeah. You know? And so he was a black belt, just, you know, there if they needed him, whatever. And then, uh, he had an opportunity to come out to, to Utah to teach through the Chuck Norris association. Okay. And, uh, I think realized there was no jujitsu there yeah. and there was an opportunity. Um, so of all places he ended up there. It's really cool. Uh, yeah. What drew you out to Utah? Uh, same thing. Same. 
Yeah, I did. Uh, <clears throat> I took my I took my first class in 1991 with Grandmaster Hoy and Gracie, um, and at that time, they just had basically three places in the U.S. to train, and he suggested. He said you could come to L.A. My brother Hickson has a school across town. I have my academy with Hoyce, um, and we have a guy in, in Utah. And I, it, it took me a couple months, and I basically packed up and moved there. Yeah. So. And how long were you guys in Utah? I was there 12 years. 12 years. I was there only seven years. Okay. Yeah. And uh, what did you do there? Because you ran the academy. And then you, and then Matt, you. Man, I, I started off as a plumbing apprentice for a little while and <laughs> uh, detailed cars for a little while, worked for Radio Shack, Best Buy, just, you know, yeah. did, did whatever I could, you know, to survive so I could take classes. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a good period when I, when I moved out there, he, he teased me about it all the time, but I, uh, my dad had co-signed for a credit card and I had like a $14,000 limit, you know, I'm 20, 23 years old. I got a $14,000 limit and, uh, I didn't get, I didn't get a job, you know, for a little while. And, <laughs> you know, I was there for, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And Alan and the other guys would, uh, go golfing on Fridays and they Hey, you want to go golfing? You know, sure. Yeah. I'll go golfing with you guys. I don't have a job yet. You know, have a little credit. And, uh, every week when we go golfing, he'd ask me, he'd say, hey, Strack, are you, uh, you get, you get a job yet? You looking for a job? And I'm like, oh, you know, next week. Next week I look, and you know, this this went on this went on for a while, for several months until I was I was out of credit and out of out of money and uh, had to get a job. Then life hit you. Then life hit. Yeah. But you know, I traveled to California and competed in jiu-jitsu. I took as many lessons as I could during those first couple months when I didn't have a job. Yeah. Um, you know, and then found jobs that allowed me to train. Yeah. You know, and. Uh, you know, years later, my parents didn't even realize that was the reason I was out there. I, I had gotten accepted to the University of Utah. Okay. And I never went. Yeah. I never showed up for, for orientation, even the first time. <laughs> you know, jiu-jitsu I, college. Well, yeah. yeah. I was like, oh, I need to get a job. You know, I, I got to you know, make some money or whatever. And uh, they're like, oh, you're not going to go? You got accepted there. And um, yeah, I just I kept I kept on telling that story over and over, like, okay, I'm gonna go back to school soon, you know. And um, it was one of our one of our friends. I mean, maybe it was like four four or five years into me being there, telling the story. You know, we all go out hanging out and be like, yeah, I'm gonna go back to school. And he said, why? You're you're already doing what you want to do. Like, just complete your education and do it. You know. Yeah. And that it was kind of the first time I thought like that, and I was like, man, huh. I guess he's right, you know. Yeah. Yeah, education comes in many forms. Yeah. 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 I, my wife and I have talked about it and I would never take a degree away, away from anyone. It's amazing, you know, go and, mm -hmm. and do it and and if you have a career path that you're going to But if we were hiring for a generic job and there was like a bachelor's degree versus a black belt in jiu-jitsu, probably going to hire the black belt. <laughs> so <laughs> um which actually I don't want to derail this too much and I know you guys are just you're good guys, you don't want to toot your horn, but I think it's important for people to realize what a jiu-jitsu black belt is i mean that's a that's a very that's a big feat um can one of you guys kind of tell us what that entails and what that takes for someone to become a black belt it's all you mm, go ahead 
I, you know, I think there's a perception of what a black belt is, and then there's the um, the work that you do to get there. You yeah. know, and I and I think those two things are are very very different. You know, when you when you perceive a black belt when you first start doing jiu-jitsu, it's like watching a wizard or something. You know, yeah. you're like, how is this possible that this person can? you know, defend every attack and counter and, and, and do it without breaking a sweat. Um, and you think I'm going to be like that someday, you know? And so you're working towards that, right? You're thinking like, okay, maybe today, you know, maybe tomorrow, maybe next week, you know? And it's like, okay, maybe when I get my brown belt, I'll, I'll be like that. And then you get to be a black belt and you're like, oh, <laughs> it's still just me with all of the experience that I have. And that person that I was, that I was, you know, in awe of, I'm still in awe of, you know, yeah. like, wow, they're still that far ahead of me. So it becomes something greater than just that skill, you yeah. know, it's the process, it's the, the sacrifice that, you know, to get there. Like for me, a black belt is somebody who's sacrificed, you know, it hasn't always been easy to be there to learn, you know, that you have to do something like that for 10 years straight like you got to yeah. be there for 10 years straight people don't want to do that people don't want to do anything for 10 years they want the quickest it's still not fast enough right yeah i just saw something the other day that starbucks is not fast enough <laughs> they now are are making something easier you know some serving size smaller so they can do it faster it's like really yeah. that's the problem that starbucks isn't fast so i think that mentality especially here in the states you know is is just, that's not how you gain skills, you yeah. know? And, you know, 10 years in when I, when I got, when I received my black belt, you know, I was proud of the work I put in, but I by no means was overly proud of who I was at that point. You know, it's like, wow, I have a lot of work to do <laughs> to get to where my instructor is. It doesn't seem like I'm catching on him at yeah. all, Yeah, you know? Which maybe that's one of the life principles that I've enjoyed about jiu-jitsu so far. And you mentioned it today in the seminar. You said it, you know, maybe three, four years, you're like, hey, I know some stuff. But now 30 years, you're like, oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> or you do. You just yeah. have such a great knowledge of it, but you know there's that much more. So the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I was there for, uh, for Matt's black belt test. I was holding the camera. I yeah. Quite a bit of it. <laughs> And I think, I think that same day I got uh, my purple belt, I think, but it, it might have been a little bit later than that. But I remember having a conversation with him right after he was awarded that and just said, how does that feel? Because to me, he, he was that titan, right? That jiu-jitsu yeah. god, you know, that was choking me. I would drive four hours to get choked by him for an hour and then turn around and come back. But I remember what he said was, uh, well, I'm just excited to start learning some jiu-jitsu. That's after 10 years yeah. of dedication and living there. And so I think it really does... I don't know, become bigger than just that pursuit of black belt. And you, it never fits right yeah. when you put a belt on. It always feels like you're, you're uh, an imposter of some kind. Yeah. You're just not ready for it. But, yeah, hmm. it keeps you humble for sure. Well, hmm. those might be the people that are ready for it, right? <laughs> maybe if you feel like you're ready, maybe maybe you're not. But just, yeah. just a thought. I'm yeah. pretty much as low of a white belt as you get. So. <laughs> yeah. um, what drew you to jiu-jitsu, Alan? Oh, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I can't, I can't really tell you. Yeah. I had, uh, I was always fascinated with, with martial arts. 
um, when I was a kid, the Kung Fu series was on, you know, and I, I thought it was very cool that the guy was super tough, but he was always the nicest guy. And that, uh, that always appealed to me to be like, you know, you could be the toughest guy, but you can still be, you know, the nicest guy. And, uh, so I was always interested in any kind of martial arts training and we didn't, we didn't really have much of that. Um, but when, uh, I was in high school, I was doing some Kempo with a, with a guy that had just moved there. And, uh, one day, and I live 20 miles south of Dodge City, Kansas. And, uh, <clears throat> so one day the guy, he tells me, hey, there's going to be a, a jiu-jitsu demonstration in the mall on Saturday. So we went, and uh, it was great. It was Japanese jiu-jitsu, and it was awesome. And the, uh, you know, we just, man, that was really cool, you know, and then we, we left or whatever. And um, <clears throat> about a week later, the guy comes knocking on my door early in the morning before school, and he says, uh, he says, hey, remember that jiu-jitsu guy? He's over at the, at the grocery store um, stocking the cigarettes, right? And uh, so he was like a regional cigarette guy for, I can't remember, was it uh, Kent or something like that? So he was basically the display guy. Yeah. The display up. So, uh, so we go over to the store, and, uh, and, you know, he saw us coming in and, like, I don't know, I guess he felt us like, you know, it's like, what do these guys want? And we, we kind of walked over there and I said, uh, hey, you, you know, you did that jiu-jitsu demo? He's like, yeah. And I said, uh, man, would you do one at our school? And uh, <clears throat> he said, yeah, sure. He gave us his card. And my dad was the principal. Um, so I asked my dad, hey, can this guy do a, you know, a demonstration like on a Friday or something? And I think... Uh, he was like, yeah, sure, which I think he um, regretted that later because that was kind of it for me. Yeah. You know? um, after that demo, and then I, I started to drive up there, um, had my license, so I started driving, going to the class, and I pretty much, uh, that's what I've been doing. I think that's awesome. So your dad regretted it, but you, uh, it shows how impressionable kids are, but also how something with this much impact can then take a kid and put them into a position where you've been able to impact thousands and thousands of people from it. Yeah. And some of them in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> as long as it was a few. Yeah. Uh, Jared, when did you meet these guys? So I moved down to, uh, to go to graduate school in Provo at BYU in 2000. And uh, I knew what Gracie Jiu-Jitsu was. I knew who Pedro Sauer was. Um, and I eagerly wanted to get down there. And so I'd done whatever Jiu-Jitsu or Judo I could do in the meantime, which wasn't much. And I, like Alan, had done a, a lot of Kempo. Uh, so I went down there and I showed up at the Pedro Sauer Academy. And the first partner that uh, Master Sauer gave to me was Milda Shabonis. And she had just gotten her blue belt. And she was probably, I don't know, I'm guessing 17 or 18. She's pretty small uh, and pretty young. Anyway, uh, I was a little frustrated because I was 25. I was hitting the weights. I was, uh, felt like I was in great shape, had a couple black belts and, and in other styles and thought I knew what I was doing. And she just sat for an hour and a half or two hours and just tied me in knots, choked me over and over. And the best part was instead of 
mocking me. She would just nicely pat me on the shoulder after every tap and just say, no, 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 you're doing fine. You know, keep smiling. Don't feel bad. And that made it worse. That's like rubbing salt in the wound. And so I remember going home. There was a moment there where I, I just thought, okay, I've got, I've got two choices. I never tell anybody what just happened. Or I need to learn this. Because if she can do that. And I wasn't, I wasn't you know, punching her, but I was trying to destroy her. I wasn't being friendly. I was absolutely trying to choke her out and crush her. And it just wasn't happening. So um, anyway, that just had this transformative effect on me. It was every bit as good and awesome as I'd heard it could be. So I started training and I was in grad school and so really busy. And so uh, most weeks I could only train on Thursdays. So I would hit the morning, the noon and the night classes if possible as much as I could. And, and that was really hard to progress, you know. So anyway, but about 2003, I finished up grad school and uh, Master Sauer was getting more and more busy traveling around and teaching and everything. And so I just started asking, you know, who can I trust? Who can I learn from? I started asking friends that had trained at the Pedro Sauer Academy and everything else. And, uh, and this name, Matt Strat, kept coming up. You know, he's the guy you need to go to, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, somebody you can learn a ton from. And so when I went down there, I immediately introduced myself to him. And I started, uh, when I started getting really serious about my training, driving down on Wednesdays, I would go down each Wednesday and, and train, if possible, the day class and the night class. And that's really when I met him. Now, I'd been kind of in the same circle, so I knew who both of these guys were, but I really hadn't. Uh, they were just those brown belts, right, that were on the other side of the room that you someday wanted to be like. I, I really didn't know him very personally, but that's when I started to get to know Matt. And I knew who Alan was um, for, for years before I had the courage to talk to him, <laughs> say hi, and introduce myself. So we'd never well, roll. Well, he seems pretty scary. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he moved away. What? When did you leave? I left in uh, November 2004. Okay, so that's right. Like, I had just started making that drive probably three, four months before that. Yeah. And I didn't get to know Alan really well other than just knowing him from a distance until, until Matt and I had trained, trained for quite a bit. And then, then, you know, through Matt, got to know Alan. Okay. Uh, Alan, what made you decide to leave Utah? Uh, well, I had... Um, well, let me let me step back just a minute. Yeah, when uh, when I was I was doing that training in Dodge City with that group, and after I graduated high school, at some point, and I was living in Dodge City, and I was training there at that at that school, and um, and my instructor left and left me in charge of the program, and uh, which I never really liked the idea of that. I didn't really want to be the instructor I wanted to be a student so I um, was looking for basically an instructor I guess and I I had an opportunity um, that well I didn't have much money but I was young and I could travel and you know I wasn't very responsible um, so I just anywhere there was somebody doing a seminar I would just drive there you know sometimes fly um, and I, I was just kind of looking for somebody that I wanted to train with. And, uh, I had it narrowed down to a couple of different people. And then, uh, I found out about this Corey and Gracie seminar that was in, it was in uh, North Glen, Colorado, outside of Denver. And, uh, I had a student named, uh, Mike Williamson. And I said, Hey, let's, you know, he was using my my you know road road traveling buddy so i said let's go we went and uh 
back then it was it was a 10-hour seminar. Um, it was five hours Saturday, five hours Sunday. And uh, so we went to that, and um, <clears throat> after about the first hour, I just decided that that was what I was going to do. Yeah. Um, I forgot about all the other choices that I thought I was going to make, and I and I asked uh, Orion, I said, where, you know, where I know you have brothers and other schools, where are they at? And he said, well, you know, I have, um, you know, myself and, and Hoyce in L.A. and my brother Hickson across town, and um, and I forgot, Helson was in Hawaii at that time, and he said, and then we have uh, Pedro Sauer, who's in Utah, and uh, so I got kind of, you know, I was pretty uh, naive about a lot of things. I didn't even know where Utah was. So <laughs> I got to <laughs> looking at a map, and I said, oh, it's right there. I'm, I'm going to go there first. It's five inches away yeah, on the map. Yeah, back, back <laughs> yeah. three. So uh, I said, I think that will, you know, suit me better. I'd been to L.A. once. I had no desire to go there. Yeah. Um, I came from a town of about six, seven hundred people. So um, I had no desire to move to, you know, a big city and, um, I figured Utah was about as small of a big city as I could, you know, Salt Lake City or Provo. So, um, when I, f when I first planned to move there, I never had any intentions of doing jujitsu for a living. Um, I was just going to go there and do it, train. And, uh, I always thought I would have another job, you know, to support it. But after I got there uh, and was training with Master Sauer for a while, I uh, it didn't take me long to figure out, like, wow, this guy, um, you know, he has a he has a you know family and everything he needs, and he makes that money from jujitsu. Um, so from that point on, I was like, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, and. Um, so when I got my black belt, um, I had already, for a couple years, I had kind of been looking on the map of where there was already jiu-jitsu people. And uh, there was none in Mississippi. So um, I had been there a couple times to visit and do some seminars. And so uh, after I got my black belt, I think I, I stayed in Utah maybe, let's see, Seven, eight months, I think, maybe another eight months. Um, and then I moved to Mississippi and, uh, you know, kind of established my school there. And one in Florida, one in Alabama. And cool. And Indiana. so that's like your your school. And you affiliate that, correct? Like you affiliate it out to other yes. people? Yeah. Cool. I had, I had several. I didn't really plan to do that. But once I got there, you know, people were reaching out to me from those places and like, yeah. Hey, we have no jujitsu either. And we'd like to, you know, have a, have a school under you or whatever. And so we started, started like that. It's really cool. Well, and that's fun. Um, you have more reach that way. You know, you can, you can have your own students, but then you can also have students of your, yes, your teachers. That, that's awesome. That kind of influence that you can give. It's really cool. How did you start Soma? Hmm. 
That's a good <laughs> question. Um, I eventually, after I got my black belt in 2006, um, my brother that I was really close with, he was back in Illinois, he was a high school history teacher. Um, he got married and they had their first child, their son. And so in 2007, I went home when he was born. I went back and I, I met him. And uh, yeah, in, in the seven years I was gone, I wasn't homesick for Illinois. Kind of like Alan, I, I really liked the culture of Utah. I liked, I liked the big city, but you know, small, close-knit communities. Yeah. Um, and so I didn't really want to return to Chicago. And my brother actually lived in the city of Chicago. We grew up in a, in a north suburb. Um, but I, uh, after I met my nephew, I decided I wanted to move back. So at that point, I was a store manager for Best Buy. I had a pretty good day job and then was running the academy. I had taken over Alan's job when he left and was running the school for Master Sauer. Um, and so I, man, I quit my job like within a couple of weeks of coming back after meeting my nephew and you know, told, told actually, pay, uh, Master Sauer had moved to Virginia at that point, and me and two other guys had had bought the academy from him and started Unified Jiu Jitsu. Okay. Um, so that was the first academy that I, um, I co-owned, and then, um, just like out of the blue, I got a, a job offer from the guy who I had started Jiu Jitsu with in Illinois, Jeff Curran, um, who had been a UFC fighter. Uh, WC um, fought championship match with that against your eye favor. Um, just pretty well known, pretty Illinois. But that's the guy I started under out in Illinois. Um, and he just out of the blue offered me a job running the jiu jitsu program at his school um, because he was busy. He was busy doing his fight career. Um, so it just worked out. You know, I, I sold my share in, in Unified and, and moved back to Illinois. Um, but unfortunately, um, I mean, good for them, bad for me. Within about six months of me being home, being back in Illinois, my brother and his wife took jobs at Miami University in Ohio. They became college professors, yeah. um, so they they moved off. And I, you know, I really found that I was kind of depressed. Although I was doing jujitsu full time, you know, instructing was what I wanted to do. Um, the reason that I moved back had moved away. Yeah. So I, yeah, I spoke with them about kind of following them to Ohio and uh, jokingly said, you know, if you guys move again, I'll get it. I won't follow you anymore. <laughs> you know, one more try. I, I could do it one more try. Um, so yeah, I, I moved down there and started from the beginning again, just started over. No job, no school, you know, um, and there was a Taekwondo school in that, in that town. And I talked to the owners there and just began my first school. Um, and, you know, about that time I started reading a lot of books on, you know, instructing jujitsu and, and people in the past who had done jujitsu. And one of the big names that, that I had come into contact with was this guy named Moshe Feldenkrais, um, who basically had studied jujitsu at the, like the turn of the century um, he was a Jewish guy that lived in France and he basically, he had started the first jujitsu school outside of the Kodokan in Europe. 
Um, he was he was like instrumental in starting jujitsu outside of it. Still wasn't being called judo at that point. It was still being called jujitsu. Um, and then later in life, I mean, he's at fan, just like an amazing. You can't even believe the stuff that this guy has done in his life. Um, helped Israel de- uh, build their missile defense system, which was hmm. you know a huge part of Israel you know surviving um, there. And then uh, is you know, part of Krav Maga starting off. His, his, one of his students starts Krav Maga. Um, he begins a form of physical therapy, the Feldenkrais method, um, which basically takes the, um, the techniques of jujitsu and applies them to healing people's movement disorders hmm. um, and looking at things through a microscope lens of techniques, little techniques, little techniques, little things from the ground up. So taking people who have, you know, they, they, they're walking, they, they don't have the ability to walk um, because of maybe some uh, growth issues or whatever, um, or, you know, um, you know, some sort of illness or whatever that's caused that, but taking them from the ground and teaching them how to, how to, how to do the same thing from the ground and then getting them back up. Um, and just becoming fascinating with this guy um, and, his, and his work. And he has jujitsu books. He's written jujitsu books. Um, and then he goes on to write these therapy books that are based on jujitsu. Um, and about the same time, I decide to go back to college, go back to school, um, kind of finish the work that I had begun when I, when I moved to Utah. And so all these things are kind of coming together, this uh, kinesiology, this, this human movement idea. Um, and I think it was in one of his books, he talks about the body as, as soma. You know that this is this thing distinct from um, the mind, distinct from um, yeah, just from from everything else, and uh, you know, and that the whole idea of of uh, maturity, maturing the body, that that uh, humans don't reach full maturity anymore, and you hear you hear people nowadays talking about that. You hear about you know Joe Rogan brings that up on his podcast about how you know we were meant to be you know, hunter gatherers and that we matured much differently then. And now we have all these instincts, but we have nothing to do with them. So that part never reaches maturity. And then you end up with people doing bad things with that, with that energy. Um, anyway, so just being coming, becoming fascinated with that and the idea of, you know, um, using an academy to help mature the body. Um, Soma Academy. Yeah. Um, from there. Yeah. I like that. So yeah. you might've said it and I just didn't pick up on it. What yeah. does Soma mean? So Soma means body. It's Greek. Oh, body. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so if you look at, at like early descriptions of jujitsu, um, it was one of the earliest forms of physical fitness out there. You know, even if you go back to, you know, Greek times or whatever, like ancient times, you see the same movements, you know, the human body is, is locked into certain movements based on the bone structure, you know, and the ligaments. And, um, yeah, that we can, yeah, that we can still mature ourselves like we did when we were in the hunter gatherer mode, you know, that we have the ability to, um, yeah, get to that place of, of calm instead of having that anxiety of like, what do I do with this thing? What, what are we meant to do? You know? Um, yeah, so it all, it all came together with that first school in Oxford, Ohio. Um, yeah, right around 2009 or so is when I started that. 
Now, is that when I went to that seminar last year or last last spring? You were close to there. Close we were to in there. Dayton, which is okay. thirty minutes from there. Yeah. Probably. Okay. Yes. And so Soma has uh, academies now in uh, Westchester, Dayton. Yeah. So just yeah. So it's okay. kind of like a triangle. Um, Almost on the Indiana border is where Oxford is, where Miami University is, Miami of Ohio. Um, so really southwest Ohio. And actually, people joke me all the time. They're like, is Soma mean Southern Ohio martial arts? I'm like, <laughs> no, but that's really awesome because we'll, we'll just pretend. That's pretty that. funny. Um, yeah, but so then uh, I met my wife. My, my sister-in-law uh, is a Spanish professor at Miami, and she introduced me to my wife, my future wife, um, who's also a Spanish professor. And her family is from the Dayton area. Um, they're originally from the Bronx. So her, her parents have really thick New York accents, cool. which is kind of fun to, to discover, um, especially from coming from Chicago. Like all yeah. my relatives have real thick Chicago accents. Um, but yeah, so uh, getting introduced to her family up there, and then we decided to, to move up there. And almost immediately... I began looking around. There was nothing in the area near where we lived. And so I was like, let's let's try to open a second location. And I had, at that point, I had uh, been running, you know, the school in, in Oxford for about five years. And we had never really gotten past about 30, 40 students. It just been, you know, and, and I had gone back to the idea of maybe teaching jiu-jitsu as a, as a job maybe that wouldn't wouldn't work out for me for whatever reason um and it was it was meant to be you know we opened up the the Dayton school and within a year we had about 100 members at that school cool. within a year um and it has just grown like crazy since then um now it's been 8 years we've been in Dayton we've gone through three different locations we just upgraded again another 2000 square feet in August um, it just continues to grow. There's cool. just such a need for it in the area. Um, so then that's a different building than the one I went to. Yeah, it cool. is. Yeah. Yeah, All we right. just, Congrats. Yeah, that's thanks. awesome. Yeah, yeah. You moved in when? July? So just Yeah, July, August. We opened up in August. Beautiful yeah. building. Yeah. Cool. Well, I'll have to yeah. go back. Oh, yeah. How's the business side of it been for you guys? Has that been as enjoyable as the jiu-jitsu side? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I get it. <laughs> Yeah, lots to learn. I don't know. You, you, yeah, know, you mentioned think, that that, it, that it's a goal. It was a goal to to do that as a as a, for a living, but I don't think that means the goal is to do business in jujitsu. I mean, yeah. that's that's almost for me at least the miserable part. It is the is. fact that you have to do the business side. Yeah, you, you need another you you need another black belt for on that side. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. It takes it takes a while for you to figure that out unless. Unless someone has been telling you that from the beginning and you have a, like today, if one of my guys were to open a school, it'd be pretty easy yeah. to put them in there. Because you've gone through yeah. So there's what he needs to go through to learn. Yeah. yeah. There's, um, like right now I have an assistant that does basically everything but teach the class. Yeah. Which is what should have been happening all along. Yeah. Because, you know, me answering the phone and talking to people and trying to sign them up um, was not a very good business idea. Yeah. But necessary in the fact that you have yeah. to learn. It was necessary yeah. in the beginning because I didn't have anyone. But yeah. Um, yeah. It crisscrosses relationships because you develop such a, a in, in many ways, intimate relationship with your students, almost a family-like relationship. At least it can happen that way. 
and then you're doing business with family. Yeah. Right. So it really helps to have somebody else handle the financial side of things and to separate the business from the relationship you share together on the mats, just as much as I think it's important to limit what that relationship is on the yeah. mats as well. But it's, it's a tricky thing to, to manage. And this is why I think you see sometimes in, in our industry, people taking advantage of their instructors or their students through that loyalty that you develop. Cause you know, through mutual combat, through training together, we develop some pretty strong bonds. Yeah. The minute you introduce money into that. Oh, for sure. It's a whole new world. Yeah. We own a fitness gym and a rock climbing gym and people will come to me for things like their memberships. And my wife's like, Nope, you send them to the front desk. Cause she knows that I'll be like, Oh no, we'll get you a deal. We'll right. do. And right. She's like, Nope, send them to the yeah. front desk. Exactly. She's smart. She's way smarter than I am. No, so. no deals. Yeah. 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 Which is then a mutual respect too. Like it's, if I'm giving someone a deal, I'm devaluing the product that I have. Absolutely. And if they're wanting a deal, they're also devaluing And, and the you're product. hamstringing their, their progress. Yeah. This has been really difficult for me to learn, and I'm still learning it after 30 years in, in this business, in this industry. And um, you, when you give that deal, you're, you're hamstringing their ability to sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed for that end result. And the minute you do that, yeah. you've undermined. And I learned this years ago when I would give scholarships just at request. You know, hey, you can't afford it right now. Great. Every time that student will be gone within 60 days. Every time. Yeah. Yeah, it it's makes the sense. The way to ruin their progress is to well, give it to them. Price is only an issue in the absence of value. Mm -hmm. So if it's not valued, it's tough. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, it's cool that you guys have learned that and found that out because it really does. I mean, what, what jiu-jitsu has done for me in the last two years is invaluable. So... You can kind of charge whatever you want. You say we've learned it, but uh, <laughs> I'm still learning. It's still yeah. a struggle every time, every, yeah. every day. And, and, uh, and I don't know if I've learned to walk that line right or not. I just know that I think I'm headed the right direction. You know. Yeah. So you guys all being at the level that you're at, where do you go for guidance now? Cause you got, you've got to separate us here with because well, we're well, very different because yeah because you, know, you go to them for, for sure guidance. absolutely so yeah. I, I have many many resources that i can turn to and i think they have a lot more limitations i'm i'm the newbie at this table mm -hmm. <laughs> for sure well i'm so so i have to fly across <laughs> yeah. the country you know to to get or or fly them here yeah that kind of input but there's definitely a difference between a, a second degree black belt and a, and a fourth and fifth degree black belt if that makes sense yeah yeah definitely um so where do you guys go how, how do you get what do you do but just to go back to Jared's comment, you know, he drove up to, you know, upper Idaho to do, uh, or Montana to do Missoula, a, yeah. Missoula, Montana to do a lesson with Master Silvio Baring, you know, who's one of the original students, the Gracie Academy, um, you know, and just flew across the country to do the same thing and then did a private lesson with Master Silvio Baring while he was yeah. there, you know, and there's, uh, that, that's the thing that I hope to impart on my students is that, when you get to a certain level, you have to find that that path to continue your learning, you know, and if you have an instructor, that's awesome. You interact with them, you know, but if they're telling you, hey, you should also seek out this person over here because that's who I seek out, you know, that's that's exactly what I do, you know, and that's what, you know, Alan taught me, you know, a long time ago. Um, you're, you're going to regret not doing it. Yeah. You're not going to regret doing it. You know, that nobody, nobody ever regrets putting the time, like, oh man, I wish I hadn't, you know, flown across the country to learn, you know, something that <laughs> yeah. changed the way that I look at this thing. And for, for me that, you know, that's, you know, stuff that I was going over in the seminar today were things that, 
that I have learned from Master Silvio Baring, you know, from uh, Grandmaster Helson Gracie, you know, like these people that, you know, and, and I, I've been out of my house probably the last month and a half attending seminars. Yeah. Right. I don't need to go to those seminars to teach jiu-jitsu, but I do need those as a way, as a motivation to continue growing, you know, and to find that path to like, yeah, where do we go from here? Like, I'm still trying to chase after Master Sour. Like, you know, I mean, the guy's unbelievable. I remember Alan saying something like, okay, I can, I can see the level he's at at Black Belt when I was like blue or purple. And then when I got to Black Belt, I couldn't see the level anymore. Interesting. Like it was so far ahead in that time. And all he was doing was training with his students and teaching across the country. Like he, he wasn't attending seminars like, like crazy. Yeah. You know, so just his level was jumping just from his interaction with jujitsu. Okay. Um, from what, from what I could see. Yeah. You know, that, that, from my perspective. Well, um, you kind of said today, you know, let a, a white belt choke you and <laughs> it, you don't know what you're going to get. That might be a positive. Right. Because you don't know what you're going to get. So yeah. you got to learn to defend against kind of anything. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah. I well, like think, that. think about when you're teaching a kid to ride a bike or to walk, right? You, you don't. You don't teach a child to walk. Um, you, you give them a little bit of guidance and keep them from cracking their head open, right? There's this natural ability, I think, that the human body has to learn. And maybe that's what's going on with Master Sauron and with so many others. When you're interacting with jiu-jitsu, you're going to learn. Then when you add into that instruction by grandmasters or, or very, very high-ranking black belts who have done it for 40, 50, 60 years, who can tweak and correct and interact, man, you just, you just added such an important element, I think, to that learning. Yeah. Now, you guys have said you're talking master sour. So that's the red belt, correct? Red and black. Red and yeah, black. So the coral, okay. coral belt. Yeah. The coral belt. Mm -hmm. So it goes black belt. And is it five degrees? And then on the sixth is when you get seventh. the seventh. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after, I kind of understand it on, on you know, white through brown and certain <laughs> hours and skill levels. But after that, so you have your second degree black belt, correct? Correct. Um, what happens? You get your black belt and then mm -hmm. what do you do from there? You know, the crit, do you want to answer this? Uh, as far as far as what, how are you getting well, promoted? yeah, how are you getting degrees, and then who determines like a coral belt, for example? <laughs> well, uh, basically, and there's two or three different modes of that based on maybe who your instructor is. Or um, when we were coming up, the system was when you were, once you got to be a black belt. Um, if you were teaching and training every three years, you would get a stripe. Um, until, and that, that was seventh and eighth also. But from eight to nine was a 20 year period. Now some of the, um, like the IBJJF, which is the, you know, the largest yep. organization, um, their requirements are now, um, it's three, three and three, and then when you go to fourth, that's five years from, from three to four, and then five years from four to five um, until, let's see, and then the seventh and eighth are, are 10 years apart, and then the eight to nine is 10 years apart instead of a 20-year gap from the eight to nine. Um, still the same time, but yeah, 
but you know there's there's a belt in between there so okay. it's so you, it up just a little you could be 10 to 15 years to get a black belt or, or longer and then you're 45 to 55 years after that <laughs> is that that's almost or a red belt. like yeah, or a red, red belt yeah. yes that's really cool yeah, yeah. so that's kind of where you guys have said you know you get to that there's that level between blue belt and black belt you say but then once you get to black belt now the level's kind of infinite yes because it just yeah. decades mm-hmm. yeah one of one of my black belts said uh something really interesting he said i remember you saying this and i don't i don't remember saying it but he he said you said you know no matter what if you keep training you're going to be a black belt it's up to you to decide what kind of black belt you want to be mm-hmm. and that he said changed everything that he thought about because he was thinking, oh, okay, my achievements, you know, okay, being tough, tapping people or whatever, you know, or just the process will take me there. And he's like, oh, I got to do some work. Yeah. You know, and, and here's a guy that for the last 15 years has brought me up every single month to teach a seminar for his group every single month. And he has probably never had more than 30 students there. And, you know, 10 people will show up to a seminar. Four people will show up to a seminar. Sometimes we get 20 people at a seminar. He does a private lesson every single time I come up there. I drive three hours there and three hours back to, to you know, continue the relationship with him. But yeah, what kind of black belt do you want to be? You yeah. ask me like, what does it mean to be a black belt? Yeah. I think it's different for everybody. Some people it's uh, 10 years, eight years. Yeah. That's what it means to be a black belt. You yeah. got to put eight years. That's all it means to them. Yeah, for me, I want it to be more. For sure. And ha- has it a little bit changed over the years? I mean, someone, I think James had told me that Alio said, someone asked Alio, why does it take 10 years to get a black belt? And he said, because mm. you can fool me for nine years. Something along those lines. Yeah, five years. <laughs> five years. You yeah. can fool me for five, but not for Okay, seven. okay. So has it changed a little bit? I mean, in that way, it almost sounds like Alio was saying, you got to kind of prove your worth to me. You got to prove what kind of person you are. Is in some different schools, has that changed a little bit? I, I believe so, 100%. Okay. But I also, I also think it's, it's, not, um, it's not just about that, too. Like, you know, he mentioned um, during the seminar, we were talking about when I started. Um, well, when I started, I didn't even know there was such a thing as a tournament. Uh, I just knew these guys were, you know, beating up all these other martial artists and... Um, you know, yeah. that's when they had the challenge fights back then, right? Yeah. And I wanted to be, you know, like the best martial arts guy. Yeah. So I didn't really care at that time what martial art it was. I wanted to be the best martial arts guy. So, uh, when I started jujitsu, they were, you know, it was about fighting. And, uh, so the Valley Tudo and the self-defense and there was a sport jujitsu part. And that's the part that we did every day you know, the open mat training, all that kind of stuff. Um, but there's three parts to it. And I think, um, yeah, you could, you could get a black belt quicker. You train in the sport all the time, no problem. I think a, that happens a lot today because people in the school aren't doing self-defense and they're not doing any valley tudo. It's just sport jiu-jitsu. So, yeah, if you're only doing a third of the original thing, it yeah. might not take 10 years. So, yeah. Um, now, you guys all focus on kind of at least two of them, right? Self defense and, well, 
the self-defense portion for sure, but do you kind of still focus on all three? Not, not as much. Not as much. But in the, you know, in the beginning, uh, when I started, it was a huge focus, and it was a focus for several of the first years that I was there. Um, almost every class, somebody had boxing gloves on, um, and people were practicing, you know, taking them down and that type of thing, every single class. And, um, you know, slowly, kind of over the years, that, you know, got kind of phased out and more, you know. Uh, same with the self-defense. To, to a point, we were just doing it a little bit and focusing on the ground. And, uh, like, as far as myself, um, I took private lessons from Master Silvio on uh, learning all the self-defense and not privates, but two class from Master Alvaro also, um, you know, aside from the regular class for the uh, self-defense part. Because so. you, you're now a self-defense, like a law enforcement self-defense teacher as well, right? Uh, Something along those lines? Some, sometimes. I, okay. Yeah, I don't, it's not, a, not all the time. So okay. Yeah. I, I appreciate largely when I come here and there's rubber guns or rubber knives, and that's a, a part that we incorporate because, I, I mean... Yeah, I want to like I want to be good at jujitsu, right? But I want to actually be able to defend myself and my family. Right. So I really appreciate that part. And I, I have to say, you know, when I when I first started the um, the self defense was I was not interested in that. Um, I just liked the fighting part and the you know rolling around. And then uh, I think when I was about maybe. I don't know, probably purple belt. And uh, I was just kind of thinking, I want to be the best jiu-jitsu instructor and best jiu-jitsu person that I can be. And this is a whole system they have. You know, and some people, you know, oh, those, those techniques are old. And uh, for me, I always thought, well, who cares? I mean, that's still in the system. And there yeah. is, you know... Uh, according to Master Helson, there's 82 self-defense techniques. Um, so I figured I'm learning a thousand techniques on the ground. What's it going to hurt me to learn 82? Just to keep, you know, to keep that curriculum and keep the tradition alive of, you know, ha just having those moves, um, so that I know the whole system. And that's, I mean, I think it's awesome self-defense too. Yeah, but. That's more the reason that I started to do it. It's because I wanted to know the whole thing. Yeah. So I like that a lot. Um, and you're uh you read back into like the ancient stuff, right? <laughs> um how how close is that to what we have nowadays? I you know, I think Alan said it well last night. You know, it's like people nowadays think they're inventing jujitsu moves. And that's to disregard thousands of years of people moving their bodies, you know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, there might be something that's a little bit different that people do. But I mean, you go back and you watch uh, the guy that that Elio had the big match against Kimura, mm -hmm. right? Masahiko Kimura. And uh, that guy has a video series. It was like maybe 1970s or so. And he's doing barambolos through the open guard. What? 
he's a judo guy. Like, yeah, he's, he's doing barambolos, right? And he doesn't know what a barambolo is because it wasn't to be invented again until 2005 or whatever, you know, or when the Mendez brothers started started to do it, you know. And so I don't think there is a invention of jujitsu moves. That'd be that would uh, be just stupid. Yeah. I remember, you know, speak is is funny. I remember uh, one of our one of the guys that we came up with, uh, Mike Diaz. He came to my school and was. Um, was doing a little class and he was like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to show this thing I've been working on. And, uh, I said, I said, where'd you see it at? He said, I just been, just been messing with from half guard. It's this thing. And he, he started to do it. And, uh, like two years later, I started hearing about this thing, you know, and I'm like, what is it? What's the thing I've been hearing about this, uh, Barambolo. And I see, I see somebody do it. I said, man, that's what he showed like two years ago. I mean, he'd never seen it before. Yeah. It was just something he was playing with. And uh, then it became a big thing, you know. Just rediscovering so, it. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah. It's like we had a, we had a guy, uh, Jared mentioned, uh, Milda Shabonis. Uh, well, her dad was the, uh, he was, well, as far as modern times, he was the, the he came up with the Von Flu choke. And he actually, uh, I don't know if he did it on him or if he showed it to him in Salt Lake City. Um, but then, you know, he started doing it in UFCs or whatever. And Von Flew. Von yeah. Flew. Yeah. Yeah. So now it's the Von Flew choke. It should be the John Chabonis choke. Um, <laughs> there was a podcast recently that tied it back to, to Salt Lake City. Really? Uh, yeah. Huh. yeah. Yeah. I'll have to track that down. But, yeah. but I was pretty yeah. excited to finally see some credit given there mm-hmm. where it came from. Yeah. 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 I, I just think, again, the person who's walking around saying they've invented jujitsu moves, but they don't even understand what the term jujitsu means or that it comes from Japan, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's just, yeah, it's severely ignorant. Um, and, and I think there's a lot to learn from those old textbooks. Like I have, I have books that say Jigoro Kano Jujitsu. And then they become Jigoro Kano judo books. And you know, the books all do the same thing, you know? And yeah. it's, it's like, oh, no, no, there's always the talk about in Brazil where they're learning judo or jiu-jitsu. That really is irrelevant, what term they're using there, you know? But, you know, it's, it's the study of, of movement. It's the study of how to be most efficient in your, in your movements, you know? Like, whether it's defense or just... Yeah, how to stand correctly, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I had read something about judo and jiu-jitsu sometimes just being a translation issue, too, when it was translated. But really, when it comes down to it, it's yes, it's, it's both. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah, I think, I think Kano is do, right? So ju is means soft, pliable, yielding, right? And then jutsu is technique, okay. right? So... Jiu-jitsu is just the, the study of soft, pliable, yielding movements, right? The, the, and if you look at, like, if you look at up, uh, skill acquisition in, like, a, a, a dictionary, whatever, it's, like, maximum efficiency with minimal effort is what skill acquisition is. You can do something without it taking a lot of effort, right? So that's what I see that, like, you're, you're learning techniques to the maximum effect, right? The do, do means way, so you find it in 
Kendo, the way of the sword, right? You find it in Taekwondo, the foot fist way, right? You find it in multiple arts, right? He just added his way of yielding soft pliable techniques, right? It's his way, which is kind of funny because his way is all about the educational benefits of jujitsu, right? Um, and if you look at Grandmaster Elio's, uh, you know, his, his master text inside there, and just he, you, you watch videos of him talking about his desire for jujitsu, it was a way to, uh, for people to develop, you know, for people to become better human beings, yeah. right? Not necessarily even a fighting art, right? It's a, how to be a better person. And Jigoro Kano was very similar in that. He, that's why he was calling it judo, the way, right? And I would say judo has moved away from that as, as the sport has grown larger, the dough has shrunk. It's no longer about, I mean, look, look at judo athletes. They become bigger, stronger, faster. They have name brands behind them, right? They are posing for pictures and, and all about being, you know, like the, you know, the center of attention, you know, you know, and, uh, yeah, I don't think that's that's really what Jigoro Kano was thinking about, you know. And look at what's happening to jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu is seeing that same thing within, you know, a very short period of time. Within 100 years, jiu-jitsu will no longer be the art that Grandmaster Elio was, was trying to teach. And it will be specifically a sport. And it will lose, in my opinion, it will lose many of the benefits, if not all the benefits that it had. It'll be well known. Yeah. Oh, we all know what jiu-jitsu is. But it'll be, you know, it won't be effective for self-defense because people won't have studied those techniques and it won't be a fighting art anymore. Um, and it'll be kind of a silly sport, you know? What are these people doing? They're just sitting on their, on their bottoms, on the ground, spinning around in circles, you know? It's the things that the jiu-jitsu guys get teased about yeah. by, like, other martial artists, right? Like, oh, jiu-jitsu guys, they scoot around on their butts, you know, or whatever. It's already becoming that because Why? They never learned the stand-up part of the art. Yeah. So you guys are kind of actively almost fighting against that, like keeping the tradition of Absolutely. the self-defense. And, Absolutely. And the, yeah. Well, if you look at uh, Professor Hopkins' patch, right? Belha Garda? How do you pronounce that? Belha Garda. I, don't, I haven't, don't mean to ask questions, but what's the meaning behind that patch? Is that kind of related back to that? Well, it, uh, yeah. It's just uh, it's basically um, old guard, but... It translates better as the old school. And, um, Is that because you're old? <laughs> it's basically because I'm old. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> no, I think it, it has a lot to do with uh, maybe how I was raised and how I see the world anyway um, and how I see jiu-jitsu. Um, <clears throat> but I'm also... I'm, you know, I, I like everyone who does jujitsu. Uh, I just do things differently. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whatever people want to do, I'm a hundred percent okay with that. I'm not trying to, you know, I have my group and they like what we're doing and, you know, that's, uh, so I'm not fighting. Yeah, to, yeah. You know, well, maybe saying? fighting was the wrong word. Yeah, too. yeah. Just um, keeping with tradition. Yeah, you know, just helping uphold that tradition. Yes. Yeah, which I appreciate. I love tradition. I I think it's 
awesome to study history like we were talking about earlier and, and follow some tradition. But it's also fun to see innovation too. You know, I, I don't know sure. I don't know much about this, but like Eddie Bravo, he he's definitely has shifted some stuff, right? So it's kind of fun to see that too, but tradition's awesome. So I appreciate well, it. You know, like uh, Professor Strack mentioned this I, this idea that it's the yielding art, the yielding technique. It's not very yielding when you want to convince everybody else in the world to do yeah. it your way, right? Right. So I think it's okay to advocate for how I do it my way, but I have absolutely zero expectation for anybody else to do it the same way. Yeah. It's not my concern. Yeah. Yes. I like that a lot. There's a, there's a really cool video out there with this guy named Ono, uh, Suntane Ono. Um, ono? Ono? Ono. 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 Um, and he was a jiu-jitsu instructor at Jagoro's Kano's at the Kodokan, right? Even when it was judo, he was still kind of doing jiu-jitsu, and he was specifically like a Neiwaza groundmaster, right? And you can find these videos. They're really kind of, uh, you know, they're not, not good quality anymore, but from like the 1950s. He's maybe 70 years old, 1950s, uh, and he's doing Eddie Bravo's lockdown, deep half guard, doing all kinds of crazy yeah. stuff, you know? And so... That's cool. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I would imagine you become so proficient in the thing that you have some freedom to play. Yeah. You know, and I think that understanding is important that you don't have the freedom to play until you can defend yourself, until you can, until you can do some things. Yeah. And I think people skip that now. Mm. You know, I hear the rhetoric, um, and, I, and don't get me wrong, like I'm a fan of, of footlocks. Uh, any submission that I can do that, uh, you know, I can do it effectively and make my partner stop without hurting them is awesome, you know? But that rhetoric of why bother passing the guard when you can just footlock somebody? Well, you kind of miss the whole point of what we do then, you know, because <laughs> the goal of passing the guard is to control the upper body of somebody, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, you know, that idea of uh, why ignore 50% of the body, you know? John Donher says that, uh, Dean Lister says that, you know? And it's really caused like an explosion into the uh, study of the leg lock game. Um, it's really important that you study the upper body. You know, it's really important that you go back and that you do that study and that, yeah, you can play with that stuff too, whatever. Um, but you control somebody by, by controlling their upper body. You yeah. know, you look at, you look at, uh, you know, Eddie Bravo's combat jujitsu, Right. You seen how many footlocks and heel hooks are going on in that? It's a lot less. <laughs> it is a lot less. Because they're getting hit? They're getting open yeah. palm strike to the face and getting knocked out. Yeah. And so those guys are like, hey, what do you what do you do when somebody's standing above you and you're trying to they're trying to throw punches at you? And it's like, Oh, that's what the white belts learn in jujitsu one oh one. You know, an academy yeah. that has self defense, you know, yeah. or has Valley Tudo, right? Like, you know, so it's, it's just, you know, it's, it's cyclical. It's going to, I really believe that it'll come back around that you'll have the jujitsu guy enter the UFC with no striking ability. And he will take every single guy to the ground when they want to box with them and he'll submit the guy. And everyone will be like, have you heard about this thing? It's jujitsu. It works, you know, and maybe it's called something different at that point. Maybe it's not even called Brazilian jujitsu. It's some new hybrid of the guy just clinches, takes the guy to the ground and, submits them, you know, but you know, that, that's what I see. I see it just going full circle over and over. Cause we seem to just forget, we don't yeah. learn from history. We just keep 
trying to find something new, try, you know, like you can't just be satisfied that it's, that it, yeah. that it works. You know? Well, the, the mastery part is what intrigues me, you know, it, yeah, it might be fun to learn some leg locks, but that's not mastery. Mastery is learning the upper body and the lower and yeah. you know, all yeah. of it. So, yeah. And, you know, and listening to the advice of people, you know, of previous centuries or like, you know, like previous decades that are saying, man, if you want to be able to use your knees in later life, like we're all kind of figuring this out, you know, I'm 46 going to 47. Um, you know, I, I can't do the things I did when I was 37. You know, I'm starting to feel some of the damage that happened in the first few years I did jujitsu. I'm starting to feel some of that damage from the first few years, right? Imagine if your first few years of damage is <clears throat> ACL tears, you know, uh, MCL tears, you know, meniscus tears, uh, your ankles getting popped, you know, th those are the damage. Well, I'm sorry to say I'm, wor I'm worried. I'm worried those guys are going to be able to walk when they're older. Yeah. You know, like my back hurts, my neck hurts, my elbows hurt, my shoulders hurt from getting cranked on from people doing upper body controls on me and me going really, really hard when I first started, yeah. not understanding how to, you know, how best to train for longevity, despite having an instructor who's saying, look, we need to train for longevity. Yeah. You know, you need to not go that hard, you know, call, saying, yeah, every day, yeah. you know, saying like tough guys, tough guys fall from trees in Brazil. They're everywhere. There's tough guys everywhere. And then saying to me like, let's track, you're a tough guy. You know, it's like, Oh, <laughs> dang, <laughs> you know, yeah. but you know, like that, that is something that I don't want to say. I told you so in another 10 years or 20 years when those guys are like, man, I can't do anything anymore. My knees are shot. My feet are shot. My, you know, it's like, we, yeah, we knew that. Yeah. Well, I appreciate people like you guys that are yeah. reminding us constantly like, Hey, yeah, roll soft. And it's soft. all cool. Yeah. Like, like he was saying, like, I don't, I don't fault anybody for the style jujitsu they choose, you know, to, yeah. to whatever keeps them in it. And for the most part, it's a healthy endeavor for a yeah. lot of people. It takes them away from much more unhealthy, you know, uh, things. So, you know, I think whatever, whatever keeps you at it, but I think there's a lot of people that have a misunderstanding now of what jujitsu is. You know, and then unfortunately they maybe feel cheated at some point if something happens and they, they're like, man, I wasn't able to, uh, defend myself against somebody who didn't, you know, doesn't really know a whole lot, you know? Yeah. That's a little my worry, you yeah. know, that eventually it affects the viewpoint of jujitsu and that it becomes ineffective, you know? Well, keep pushing tradition. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, cause we could, we could try to f like, I, I used the improper terminology earlier about fighting against, you know, but if you advocate for tradition, I think that's probably the best way to keep the tradition going. And then you're going to attract people like me that likes the tradition. And then I try to evangelize it to everybody else. And, <laughs> yeah. um, so I don't want to keep more <clears throat> of your time. I really appreciate your guys' time today. This is, I know your time is very valuable and, um, I, I know our listeners will get a lot out of it. They're uh, from all walks of life. So if we can just add a few people to going to jujitsu, that's the important part. Yeah. Awesome. Um, but the, the name of the podcast is two lessons learned and I'm not a great interviewer, so I don't know how to like <laughs> suck the question in to be very specific. <laughs> so if we can just go quickly through, uh, professor Strack and professor Hopkins and also you, Jared, and when do we start calling you professor? When does Never. that happen? Okay. <laughs> Sounds <Never>. good. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, just two lessons that, Oh, sorry. Uh, third? Third degree. Third degree. Cool. That's what we came up yeah. with. Yeah. 
Cool. That's what, not not what we came up with, but that's when we were coming up through the ranks. Yeah. That's what, okay. That's what I was told. Well, I look forward to that day. So, um, just two lessons that you, that you've learned. Maybe the biggest lessons in jujitsu that you've been able to apply to your life. Um, I, th I think you know my own experience. I got into jujitsu because. I didn't believe in martial arts and somebody uh, just because of the, the commercialization of it, not that all martial arts were like that, but my experience was, Hey, there's a kid in school who's a black belt in Taekwondo. And then the, uh, the high school bully just beat him to a pulp, but he's a, he's a black belt. What wasn't he just supposed to be able to do something to the bully? Like couldn't do a thing. Right. And that was my experience was, I, th I thought they were supposed to be able to defend themselves at the least, if not like put on some kind of fantastic show, yeah. you know, yeah. like here he goes, the black belt. <laughs> and he just got beat up by the bully that doesn't know anything at all other than he's just aggressive, you know? So I, I had been working a job after high school at an all night manufacturing plant, making uh, plastic disposable containers for um, like needles and stuff in hospitals, sharps disposables. And one of the guys that I worked with, I went to high school with, and he had a black belt magazine, and he was, he was all inundated with it. He, you know, this is 1997. I hadn't watched the UFCs at this point. He, he was into everything new, had seen everything. Oh man, look, there's a jujitsu school opening up in McHenry, Illinois. You know, Jeff Curran, Peter Sauer jujitsu, and I was like, I, I have no interest in any of that. You know, like I saw what happened to the kid in high school, multiple kids that were. Kung Fu masters, right? They're, you know, they're 16 years old, they're master so-and-so and their their art, whatever. No, I don't want to go. Oh, come on, you gotta go check this thing out. All right, I'll go. So I went up there. Did you recognize Jeff's name? No. You, okay. Uh-uh. No. But you went to high school with him. I went to high school, yeah. I didn't know. I didn't yeah, we went to high school as well. Yeah, I didn't know the guy at all. Okay. Um, so I went I went to this place. We're all gonna meet up there and go. This thing. I didn't want to be there, right? Keep that in mind. So I go there, and my friends blow me off. The guy who's trying to convince me to go uh, doesn't show up. And so I sit there outside of my car. You know, I'm 20, 20 years, 19 years old. You know, like I wouldn't have a problem walking into a place, but I, I was intimidated, like a little bit, regardless of my thought of like martial arts don't work. I'm like, I don't just want to storm into this place. Who knows what's going on in there? So I'm kind of looking into the window, sitting in my car, and I probably watched the whole lesson, and then, you know, I was like, man, it's kind of interesting. It's, like, different, you know? They're on top of each other and, like, grappling or whatever. It looks like wrestling. So I went back to work the next day and yelled at the guy. I was like, man, you convinced me to do this thing, and then you don't even show up. And um, so I got him, and about I got together a group of people like my brother and a couple of our friends, and we all went in there together, you know? And I remember seeing the guy. I recognized him as soon as I walked in the door. Jeff Curran. I was thinking, oh, he's, I know him from high school. Like, I'll take this guy in a second, you know? Like, I'm bigger than him, you know? Like, he's pretty athletic in high school. And I was thinking, like, this, this is not going to be a problem at all, you know? And he's teaching these moves, showing, like, the Americana, you know? And I'm thinking, you're not going to get that against me, you know? Just like every guy in the UFC who's like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to get taken down by boys. Yeah. You know, and then we proceed to, to get to the open mat. And, you know, I just recently heard Henner Gracie talking about this, how a beginner student should never be introduced to jujitsu in the way that I was introduced to jujitsu, which is 
I tried to stop him from doing all of the jiu-jitsu that he knew, and he continued to tap me out over and over and over and let me go every time I tap. Uh, and that was why I decided to continue doing jiu-jitsu because I was sold. Yeah. Like, I tried as hard. I was physically exhausted and a little humiliated, you know, thinking like, man, I, I thought I could take this guy. You know, like, he would have murdered me if I had gotten in a fight with him, you know. Uh, and I think, I think that's really important, you know. I think, I think ultimately my, my point here is that my, what I expected out of jiu-jitsu was to be like that, you know, to be, you know, to be able to do it against somebody who's trying to stop you from doing it. And that ultimately it's become something else. You know, like I, I still enjoy that part. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like I, I like the fact that it's that it's so effective. But now I think, like you were talking about the thousands of people that you interact with. Like I don't personally like Facebook. I try not to post anything on there other than maybe some motivational stuff. Yeah, right? You're smart. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't want to argue with somebody yeah. across the country or whatever about something that's silly. You know, yeah. like let's have a conversation in person. You know. Um, but I've had people on Facebook say, man, 10 years ago, you said something in a class and it changed the way that I thought. And that is why I do jiu-jitsu now. Yeah. You know, and, and not just for that side of things. People say things to me. That, yeah. You know, and maybe it takes me 10 years to, to be like, oh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But that, you know, it, it, can, it can be a vehicle for changing the way that you think about the world. You know, I think, I think that is a lesson for me that, you know, if what brought me in yeah. isn't why I do it. Yeah. You know, it's still a part of it. I still like that part. Yeah. You know, I still like a white belt that's feisty and wants to try to take my head off. And I like, I like that, you know, give them a lesson, wrap yeah. them up. Yeah. yeah. But hopefully I can do it in a way where they, you know, think about jujitsu differently. For sure. You know? Yeah. A good lesson, you know, a nice lesson, yeah. the gentle art lesson. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah, I really appreciate that. And I like that you've let that change over the years and have kind of molded it into the maybe the more mature teacher and professor that you are to, you know, to let that change. Yeah. So, good job. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate sure. that. And I think if you're going to ask a second a second, you know, thing that I've learned and it's like I had a little kid come up to me a couple months ago. He said just like little little short kid named Jorge and he said I said, Professor, can I ask you something? I said, sure. And so I got down on my knees, talked to him. He said, why do you do jujitsu? And I was like, I don't know what to say to this kid. And he goes, is it because you want to help people? Mm -hmm. And I thought, man, you know, I was like, you, you took the words away from me. Like, that, that's the best answer is, uh, you know, that's one thing I've learned about myself is, is unless you're helping people, I don't think you can be truly happy. You know, and so, yeah, that lesson right there, like learning how to help people, you know, like, man, that's that is not something I expected out of myself. You know, coming out of high school, I didn't know where I was going to be, what I was going to do, you know. But, yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Yeah. And good job getting to that conclusion. <laughs> I, I believe there's many people, you know, walking around that maybe have not come to that conclusion. Hopefully they will. But yeah. when you can learn what happiness is, it yeah. sure helps life. Yeah. And uh, I'm glad that you're 
brother and sister-in-law let you follow them around. <laughs> yeah. Really glad that happened. They moved again. Yeah. I don't know what happened. <laughs> well, and for more reasons than one, because yeah. of them, you met your wife. Yeah. So. Yeah, we have two great kids. That's awesome. Yeah. Congratulations. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. What about you, Professor Hopkins? I have to, I have to follow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a hard one to follow. It is. Uh, well, I was trying to give you time to think. Oh, <clears throat> well, that's the worst thing I can do. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I mean, honestly, I would have to say, you know, the helping people part. Uh, although I would deny that a little bit. Um, if someone asks, you know, I don't want to try to be like a nice guy or anything. Yeah, you got to save a, you got to save face a little yes. bit, and yeah, um, you have a reputation. To, yes. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I think the, uh, I mean, you know, with all honesty, when I started, I was not interested in that at all. Um, like I said earlier, I always thought it was cool that the, you know, that the the tough guy was nice. Uh, but I didn't really think about it as helping people. You know, that was just for me. And um, when I first started martial arts, and even when I started jiu-jitsu, that's all I thought about it as. And, um, you know, later on, that kind of, I think if you continue, that's just going to happen naturally, I don't think. I mean, there are some people, you know, they say, uh, you have to leave the ego at the door and all that kind of stuff, and which um, I've never really seen that to be true in jiu-jitsu. I think, you know, you have naturally nice guys, and you have, you know, jiu-jitsu just kind of brings that out. I think sometimes people are, you know, obnoxious or full of themselves. It makes them more obnoxious and full of themselves. And the uh, Unfortunately, you see that in a lot of, you know, jiu-jitsu guys I see kind of uh, promoting themselves all the time. Um, not their rank, you know, but just them. Yeah. You know, talk about how great they are, and which is kind of weird, you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think probably helping people is probably... probably the main thing and also I would like to you know one thing one thing coming up has kind of confused me about uh, like he said he went to the class and got tuned up you know um, which you know the first time that I did it the, the first person that I ever trained with was Grandmaster Horian Gracie was the first guy that I ever you know had a had a match with yeah uh, which, you know, was pretty, was pretty funny. You know, I was a black belt in, you know, other martial arts. And, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't the fact that he was, you know, beating me because, you know, I wasn't anything great or anything, but so it wasn't the fact that he was beating me. It was the fact that he was, uh, he was basically doing it so easily he's telling me jokes you know uh while he was doing it and he was actually <clears throat> he would get me in a you know a technique and he was actually reaching back and patting himself on the back 
And, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and he, would say, he would say, good move, Horio, like that. You know, <laughs> That's that awesome. Himself. And uh, which is pretty funny, you know. And I have my student there who, you know, I was, you know, I was beaten up on a regular basis. He was just over there laughing, you know, he thought it was great. And, uh, but I thought it was great, too. And, you know, like he said, he didn't get discouraged. He, it's like, man, that guy just beat me easily. Why wouldn't I want to do that? So I've, I've never understood the discouraging part about that. Like you go to the school, the guys beat you, and then people don't come back because they got beat. It's like, would they have come back if they would have won? You know, that doesn't make sense either. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah, the guy, you know, beat me super easy. And I remember, you know, at one point during this, I said, uh, man, how long, how long does it take to get a black belt? And he said, 10 years minimum. And my only thought was, wow, that's it? Only 10? Man, to get like that? <laughs> that's what I was thinking, like, wow. You know, I think at the time, he was a fifth degree at the time, yeah. you know. But uh, I remember just thinking, wow, only 10 years? You know, because I'd already put in that in, yeah. my, in what I was doing, and you know. Like I said, the guy's telling jokes while he's, you know, tuning me up and everybody else, you know, he did the yeah. thing. Uh, but uh, it was funny. Yeah, that's awesome. I forgot, so, I forgot the question, but. <laughs> oh, just, no, I love that. The story is great. And um, so you've never had a problem with instant gratification. You've always been okay with delayed. No, I knew. I mean, I knew. <clears throat> uh, I, uh, I just thought like, I, I mean, to me, it's like obvious you, you're starting something new and doing something you are, I mean, you're not going to be good at it. Yeah. And I, uh, so I've never, you know, he was talking about people should not be introduced to it like that. And I kind of, I have mixed feelings about that because I, I, you know, why not? Why shouldn't they be? The guys, the guys coming in there now, maybe not the first night, you know, but I don't know. I don't yeah. think, you know, you shouldn't have to wait six months or whatever it is that, you know, people think that you should have to wait. I mean, you come in there to, you know, do jujitsu, you should experience it. And I think, I don't know, it's just me talking. I think when guys are training, um, one guy's winning and one guy's losing. That's what I think. I don't, I don't think, you know, should be this discussing things. And, you know, why you're, I don't know, just, yeah, you're getting beat, tough. That's what happens. You're getting beat. Yeah. There's other people you're going to beat. And then, you know, it's all going to work itself out after. Like, we, we had a guy in Salt Lake who um, – Well, I, you would say he was like a prodigy type guy. Um, maybe. I mean, to me, he's one of the best I've ever seen. Uh, and I remember another friend of ours was saying, we're just kind of talking about one day because he was, I think we were all purple belts and 
everybody's like, man, that guy's so amazing, you know. And my friend was like, yeah, but, you know, I think the, the more that we keep going, we're all going to end up at the same spot. Like, we all get black belts, and we're all going to be, you know, because maybe that growth that he's experiencing right now, he's going to kind of slow, and then we're going to grow a little bit, and he may go a little more, and then we'll all grow, and we're all going to be at the same place sooner or later. We're all going to have, you know, the same type of thing. Anyway. No, I, I just I want to go back and talk about something really quickly, and it's like you can delay the losing, right? But I know that resilience from jiu-jitsu, like uh, the way that I deal with loss is very different than the way people who don't do jiu-jitsu deal with loss. Um, I, I am a big fan of that, that Jocko video, that good. Oh, yeah. So you know? I so mean, that, that's jiu-jitsu right yeah. there. Mm -hmm. Like, you just got tapped out 40 times in a night. Good. Good. You know? Like, yeah. for real. Yep. And if you want to delay that, like he's talking about, you want to delay it, cool. Uh, when are you going to learn about the loss that comes yeah. with jiu-jitsu? Oh, man, you can do jiu-jitsu without ever having that. <laughs> well, then you lose that thing. That's mm -hmm. the thing. Like... When people come to me, did you hear, you know, they're going to shut down the world for the COVID. And good. Yeah. All right. What are we going to do now? Like we're going to, we're going to do jujitsu, uh, zoom jujitsu, <laughs> you know, like, jitsu. like who knew? Yeah. Right. And then as a result, uh, I got people that would have never done jujitsu doing jujitsu. Their spouse started jujitsu. Their kids started jujitsu. Yeah. That's you know, cool. people watch those videos. We connect with people across the world during that time. People reevaluated their lives. Like, you're going to cry about that? You know, like, oh, nothing bad can ever happen. That's a problem, right? So now you're going to take jujitsu and you're going to make it acceptable for every single person. It doesn't matter your walk of life. You come in and you can do it without ever having that loss. Is that good? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you guys. What about you? Is it my turn? It's your turn. <laughs> it's hard to piggyback. Off I know. Well, and it's, it's a tough question. It's so broad. So you can take it wherever you want it. As long as, you know, it's not the only two lessons that I've learned. For sure. But I went in with a much, I think, more negative attitude toward jujitsu when I started than these guys did. Um, I wanted to go in because I wanted to do what Hoist was doing to people in the UFC. But I was convinced that I was going to go in and figure out how to beat jiu-jitsu. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there as a humble student to learn what jiu-jitsu was. It was, well, there must be something here, some gimmick, some trick that they're using that's allowing him to dominate like that. And I found out pretty quick that that wasn't a gimmick. And so I think the first thing that it did was put a mirror in front of my face that I had never had put there before. Um, I had to learn that, uh, I, look, I'm, I'm not going to ever catch these two guys in my technique. I may be where they are someday, but they're going to be decades ahead of me at that point. Um, so I had to learn to be content that there are people who beat you now and will beat you till the day you're buried. And that, that's an interesting concept when in so many martial arts, the, the, the idea is I have to be the absolute best or I'm not a valid instructor or a valid person, you know. And so I think that was probably the first. 
when I went and made that transition from, you know, I want to figure out how to beat these jujitsu guys that are doing so awesome in these no hold bars fights, bar, barred fights to wait a minute, this is transforming my life. This is changing who I am. Uh, I'm a better husband because I do jujitsu. I'm a better father. I was a better school teacher because I, I trained jujitsu. So many things it was changing. That was huge. And then I think the second thing, you know, I, I've always had faith in God. I don't have faith in my fellow man. <laughs> and and in the social media age that's come since I started doing jiu-jitsu has made that worse. I always struggle to see the best in people around me. And what jiu-jitsu did was restore in so many ways that faith in humanity. Because we come in here, look, you walk into this acad- excuse me, academy, you see 40 men and women trying to choke, arm lock, throw, slam, control each other, and not one person will lose their temper. You're going to see smiles and you're going to see, you know, just ear to ear grins and, and brotherhood and sisterhood and, and a, a, you know, a kind of harmony that you don't see almost anywhere else in the world. And yet you go to a basketball game at the local church for five minutes, you're going to see three fist fights, mm-hmm. right? And so I, I think what I really gained that second lesson is to be able to look at people and see that, look, the world's not as bad as we think it is. You, you spend your time on Facebook, you're going to absolutely lose your faith in humanity and think that it's a nasty world. You come train on the mats for an hour, and you go home believing, nah, man, this, this is a pretty good place. There are some really, really good people out there. And so my wife jokes that when she sees me getting a little stressed, down, go to class. Go to class. Go train for two hours. She knows I'm going to come back going, nah, man, this world's beautiful. It's a beautiful life, you know. So now if I can just finish both of those, if I can learn to, to always stay humble, you know, I still struggle with pride and ego so much and, and also with keeping my faith in humanity. And that's why I'm going to train forever. Yeah. You know, I'm going to train till I die because that, that's what it's teaching me. I still haven't figured out the secret to beat jujitsu. I don't think there is one. <laughs> and, and, I, and I have so much more to learn. But if I'm learning those, those two things, I think I'm, I'm doing fine. Yeah, and that bigger picture. That's it's cool that you were able to come into it wanting to be jujitsu and then all of a sudden you found this bigger picture that if you can't get enough of it. Yeah. That's awesome. It's a huge wake up call. Yeah. Thank you guys. Really appreciate your time. I got one more thing. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Just real quick. You asked earlier and I don't think uh I don't think either one of us answered actually, but about uh you know, where we get information from. Yeah. That type of thing. Which is a lot of places. Um but I had a, uh, and I'm just going to tell you this one thing because I had a, uh, a student ask me a while back. He's like, man, you have these, uh, you know, you're always going to seminars. You always bring people in or, you know, I had, uh, I always have Master Hoist coming every, every year he comes, you know. And uh, so one of the guys said, oh, yeah, you know, we, uh, you bring in Master Hoist. Said, That's really cool, you know. I said, he said, uh you know, do you get anything out of that or whatever? I said, look, uh, I'm a fourth degree. Um, when I started jujitsu 30-some years ago, Hoist was a fourth degree. So uh, that's pretty interesting. Like, the guy was a fourth degree when I started. Um, so, Yeah. Yeah, I get quite a bit out of it. Yeah, yeah, because he knows, you know, he knows a thing or two about jujitsu. So that's good perspective. Yeah, yeah, I love that. 
Um, thank you guys so much. Like, truly appreciate your time. Thank you for coming out here to Idaho. Thank you. Um, learn some awesome stuff. I have to now go and start writing it down because I'll forget it. <laughs> and we did a private lesson. Um, it was either this time last year or six months ago. I don't know. Why I can't yeah. remember. Six yeah. months. And I'll still, I just, I voice recorded it into my phone as soon as I left. Nice. This was great. And it was, you know, maybe eight or nine minutes of talking. Still listen to it every <laughs> once in a while. And so thank you for that. Um, yeah. If you guys ever need anything, <laughs> let me know. Um, I would say I'd show you around Jackson and Yellowstone and everything, but you got a great guide right here. So, um, yeah, thank you guys. Uh, is there any way, uh, I, I know you guys don't have much of a social media presence, which I actually really appreciate by the way. I think that's really cool. Uh, but I do want people to know where your schools are and how they can reach out to you guys if, um, you know, if they need to, or if they want to. So, yeah. Um, Professor Strack, where can they find you, can, you? You can find me on Facebook, just under my name, Matt Strack, um, and also on Instagram, I think. Okay. Um, and then the Academy is Soma Academy. Um, it's also on Facebook and Instagram as well. We have a YouTube page um, with techniques on there. And then our website, uh, somajj.com. So somajjitsu.com. But... Yeah, I try to I try to do my best to be at least you know a little present on social yeah. media, but you know, um, not there too much. Yeah, well, yeah, that's probably linked with your happiness. So, yeah, so good job, <laughs> good job there. And my, uh, I'm on I'm on Facebook. Um, it's probably my website. I think my website is on there too. On, uh, you know, in the little about section. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not, I'm not sure what my website is, to be honest. Oh, no, no Team Hopkins BJJ. I don't know. I don't think no? it's BJJ. I thought it was just teamhopkins.com. Does that sound I right? think it's mm. something like that. Hmm. Cool. There might when be I stopped, a, there might be a JJ. <laughs> there might be a jiu-jitsu on there. But it's but, on the the accurate one is on the, is on the Facebook. Okay. And they could probably type it into Google, Alan sure. Hopkins sure. jiu-jitsu, and maybe yes. find that. Okay. Yes. And Facebook, and then they go to the About page and figure mm-hmm. it out there. Yeah. Perfect. And I'm on the Soma Jiu-Jitsu website. That's the best way to Perfect. find me. SomaJJ.com. Right. Okay. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you. Yeah. Have a Thanks. good day. Thanks. Thanks.